Please pray with me. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. There's probably no story in the Bible that is as well known as the story of Jonah. Folks who have never even darkened the door of a church or a synagogue know at least part of the story of Jonah. They know at least the part where he is swallowed by a big fish. The book of Jonah is unlike any of the other prophetic books in the Old Testament for for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that it's a story about uh, the prophet. It's a story about the prophet Jonah rather than a series of oracles or prophetic pronouncements by Jonah to the people about what God wants. So that's one reason why it's different. But the other reason, the second reason why this book is so different from all of the other prophetic books is because Jonah is really in a lot of ways an anti-prophet, or at the very least he is a, a reluctant prophet. The word of the Lord comes to him, telling him that he is to preach to the people of Nineveh, and he goes instead to the opposite direction. Wrong move, Jonah. If you, if you know the story of Jonah, you'll remember what happens next. A great storm arises when he's on board a ship headed toward Tarshish. He's thrown overboard so as to appease the storm, and that's when God sends a great fish which swallows him for three days before he is spit back up onto the shore right where he began. A church school teacher was telling this story to a group of children once, and when she finished, she asked the class, okay, everybody, what did we learn today from the story of Jonah and the big fish? And a bright little girl seated in the front row thought for a few moments, raised her hand, and said, always travel by air. certainly a good lesson for us to learn today, but I think the heart of what we're meant to hear, what we're meant to learn, comes in the first verse of today's lesson. We're picking up the story at the the halfway point, and our, our snippet this morning comes right after Jonah has been spat up out of the big fish. We're told that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. That's how our reading starts for today. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you all what my Old Testament professor in seminary, Dr. Rebecca Wright, was always quick to tell her students when we were studying the prophets, and that is this. She would say to us, the word of the Lord never comes to anyone. The word of the Lord never comes to anyone, she she would say, "But, but the word of the Lord always happens to people. And what she was telling us then and what I'm telling you now is that the Hebrew word hayah that we use to translate for the word come is is really a word that is much more emphatic than come. If, If the word of the Lord can come to someone, Becky would say, then it can also go from someone. But she would say if the word of the Lord happens to someone, then their life is changed forever. That's what this this season of Epiphany is all about. The word of the Lord happening in the world. Epiphany, you will all remember, simply means shining forth or manifestation or revelation, and it's the season wherein we hear about how God is continuing to be made known in the world. It's, it's the season where we hear stories about how, how God happens in the world. And it's during this season that we always hear stories of God calling people. 
our collect, the opening prayer for the day, speaks to that. We prayed, give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Last week, we heard the story of God calling Samuel that great, wonderful Old Testament prophet, and then we heard from John's gospel account about how Jesus called Philip and Nathaniel. This week, we hear, we hear two more call stories. We've talked a bit about Jonah's call, and then from Mark's gospel account, we hear Jesus calling Simon and Andrew and then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The Word of the Lord, the Word made flesh, that is, Jesus, happens to these first disciples. And we're told that they, that they drop their nets immediately to follow Him. Their lives are changed. We, we don't get all of the details. We don't know if they went back to their wives first or their families to talk things over. We don't know any of the backstory. All, all that Mark tells us today is that, that Jesus happens to these men, and then they go. Jesus happens, and their lives are changed. I think that these call stories that we hear today, the story of Jonah and the story of these first apostles, they tell us, they tell us something really wonderful about the God we believe in. They tell us something about a truth that, that I think runs throughout the entire Bible, and that is this, that, that the God we believe in values relationships. The God we believe in is not a solitary, far-away deity, but a God who, who actively seeks us out, a God who persistently calls out to each one of us over and over again. The God we believe in is a God who wants to be in relationship with each and every one of us. The God we believe in is continually happening to each one of us, inviting us to re-examine our lives and to see, to see the world in a new way. That's what God was inviting Jonah to do when he sent him to the people of Nineveh, a people despised by the Israelites. Go, go and preach repentance to the Ninevites, God says to Jonah. That's what Jesus invites those first followers, the first apostles to do. He invites them to repent, to believe, to follow me, he says. Repentance isn't only about us being sorry for some sin that we've committed, some wrong that we've done. Repentance in the New Testament, that word metanoia in the Greek is literally a word that means turning our lives in a new direction, going on a different path, living, living in a new way. And that's the invitation to Andrew and to Simon, to James and to John, to you and to me. Repent. Believe. Come and follow me and see the world in a new way. I love the story that the author and Unitarian minister Robert Fulgham tells about an experience that he had uh, that helped him see the world in a new way. He says that he was, he was working at a resort in Northern California in the summer of 1959. He was a just-out-of-college young man, and he was hired to be uh, the desk clerk at this particular resort. The owner of the resort, Fulgham, writes, did not get along with the fresh, opinionated young Fulgham, nor with many of the other young people who worked for him. One week, Fulgham writes, the employees were served the same thing for lunch every day of the week. He says they were each given, and these are his words, two wieners, a mound of sauerkraut, and stale rolls to eat. Every day for a week, that's what they had for lunch. And to make matters even worse, Fulgham says, the cost of that terrible lunch was deducted from their paychecks whether they ate it or not. 
Fulgham says that he was absolutely outraged. On Friday of that week, Fulgham was sitting at the desk. He was waiting for the night worker to come in to start his shift. And when the night clerk finally arrived, Fulgham says that he went into the kitchen and clocked out for the night. And that's when he saw a note from the owner of the resort telling the employees what they'd be having for lunch the next week. Two wieners, a mound of sauerkraut, and stale rolls, all to be deducted from their weekly pay. Fulgham says that he walked back out to the night clerk, a very old man named Sigmund, and he said to Sigmund, that does it, I'm quitting. He said to the old man, when I come in tomorrow, I'm going to take those two wieners, I'm going to take that mound of sauerkraut, I'm going to take those stale rolls, and then I'm going to throw them right into the owner's face as I walk out of here. Finally, after he stopped talking, the old man looked up at him and said, you know what's wrong with you? He said, I'll tell you what's wrong with you. He said, it's not the two wieners and the mound of sauerkraut and the stale rolls. That's, that's not what's wrong with you. He said, it's not even the boss. That's not what's wrong with you either. The old man said, the problem with you is that you think you know everything, but you don't even know the difference between an inconvenience and a problem. Life, the old man says, is about inconvenience. Life is lumpy. The old man said to Fulgham, learn to separate the inconveniences from the real problems and you'll live longer and you won't annoy people like me. Good night. <laughs> Fulgham ends that story by writing, seldom in my life have I ever been hit between the eyes with such hard truth. He says, there in the darkness of the Feather River Inn, Sigmund sim simultaneously kicked my butt and opened a new window in my life. When the Word of God happens to you, to us, then our life is changed. Sometimes, like Jonah and like Robert Fulgham, it's a swift kick. And other times, like the apostles, it's a window, a door, an invitation to see life, to experience life in a new way. That's the call that God extends to each one of us today. See life in a new way. Live in a new way. So, so how do we respond to this call from God? There are lots of ways, lots of books have been written about how to do this, but I want to briefly offer to you all three ways for your consideration this morning. The first way, the first way is, as Sigmund said to the young Robert Fulgham, we've got to acknowledge that none of us knows everything. That's tough for us, I think, in a city like Washington, D.C. It's tough. it's tough for me personally. It takes a, a good bit of humility, and it also takes each one of us laying aside any biases that we might carry along with us. That's what Jonah had to do uh, in order to fully hear what God was calling him to say to the Ninevites. In order to answer God's call to go to those people, he had to be willing to understand that God might be also speaking and happening to those individuals. It takes, it takes a good bit of listening on our part. Luis talked about the importance of listening last week in his sermon. We've got to, we've got to spend time listening to how God is speaking to us, listening to how God might be calling us. And as Luis said last week, sometimes, sometimes that listening happens in unexpected ways. So number one, the first way that we can live into this calling uh, as followers of Jesus is to acknowledge that we don't know everything. Number two is, is we live into our calling from God by, by proclaiming good news. That's our work as people of God, as followers of Jesus. We're called to proclaim good news. 
There's a whole lot of bad news in our country, in our world today, and we're meant as best as we can to be bearers of good news. We're meant to separate ourselves from that bad news and lift up the good. Like Christ, this season of Epiphany is one where each one of us, each of us, we're called to shine forth. And one way that we shine forth, one way that we live into this calling is by proclaiming the great good news of Jesus Christ. The news that light can overcome darkness. The news that love can overcome hate. The news that hope can overcome despair. The news that life can overcome death. So number two for us today is proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And then finally, number three, the third way that we live into our calling from God is by doing what Jesus and what God do in our lives. They, they show up. Followers of Jesus are meant to show up. A couple of days ago, I read a letter that a clergy colleague of mine wrote to his congregation on the, uh, the sad occasion of the, the sudden and, and very tragic death of one of the young adults of his parish. And his words I found to be extremely powerful and moving and pastoral. And the part of the letter that stuck out to me uh, was when he wrote to his congregation that, that one way that they can help each other during, during this hard time is by, by staying connected to each other, by showing up to help each other during this, this hard time. He wrote, when I arrived at the young man's home, he said the driveway was, was filled with friends from the church scraping ice and shoveling snow, and there were people from the church filling the kitchen with food. He writes that by stitching yourselves into a community of faith when times are good, you make an investment in having a community to support you when times are hard. Think about, think about your own life. When Times are good, but especially when times are hard, how wonderful it is to have family and friends, sisters and brothers in Christ showing up to help, to offer hope, to laugh, to cry, to support you, and to remind you that you are loved and not alone. Showing up, showing up is how we live into this call. It's how we support each other. So those are three ways that I offer to you uh, this morning to live into this calling. And, and like I said, there are lots and lots of other ways, but, but these three ways will, will get us started. Acknowledge that we don't know it all, proclaim the good news, and show up. Be present. Make Christ happen in this church, in this community, in the world. The point of epiphany the reason I think that we hear these wonderful call stories on the second and third Sundays of this season each year is, is that they help us to see that it's God who finds us. It's God who invites us to go with Him. It's, it's God who wants to be in relationship with each one of us. And so it's God who will call out to each one of us over and over and over again in a myriad of different ways until we each hear and respond to that call. We're meant to see ourselves in Samuel and in Jonah, in Philip and in Nathaniel, in Simon and in Andrew and James and in John. And maybe, maybe that's the best news of all for, the, for all of us as we hear these stories, that, that even today God continues to happen. God continues to show up. God continues to come and to be with God's people, with you and with me. May we all have the grace necessary to answer the call 
when Jesus happens in each one of our lives. Amen.